Hey everybody, it is episode 39 of the Running Rogue Podcast. This is Chris coming at you now with Steve here in Austin, Texas. We are back together again after a little hiatus that you guys weren't aware about. We had banked some episodes while Steve and I both had a few travel things, but we are now back here at the end of August recording together. Good to see you again, Steve. Chris, it's really good to see you. It's good to be back. We're excited to now be able to talk current events again. (laughs) We've kind of been out of sync with our current events, but we've got some to start here today for our intro. But before we do that, I just wanted to tee up our guest today. We've got two amazing, powerful, strong women on our show today. Both have been guests with us before. Allison Maxis, our episode two guest, and Mallory Brooks, our episode 16 guest, or at least one of our episode 16 guests. The two of them together recently competed an absolutely epic journey around the 93-mile Wonderland Trail in Washington around Mount Rainier. They did it in now what's deemed a fastest known time for females unsupported. We're going to talk to Mallory and Allison about their experiences and get the full rundown on that journey and adventure and talk a little bit about what FKT means and what unsupported means and all those things. So we'll get to that interview in just a second. Before we do, we've got intro current events to lay out. All of these, I'm happy to report, after a wonderful summer of track, are marathon-focused. We're starting to get into fall marathon season, not only for elite athletes, but also for the everyday athlete. And I think the races we're going to talk about, a lot of people can relate to. So first, I want to talk about a recent announcement came out yesterday as we're recording here. Chelaine Flanagan has announced that she's running New York City Marathon after an injury earlier this year, and she came back really strong, almost got on the world team running the 10K in June at U.S. Champs, then went on to run a 14.57 5K as she worked on some speed over the summer. But now she's turning her focus to the New York City Marathon, hoping to get a big major win for her. And New York would certainly be that. So... Man, it's crazy to think about Shalane Flanagan running 14.57. I mean, that is really fast for a marathoner. It is really, really fast. And seeing her training mate, her training, her teammate and training partner, you know, Amy Craig, have such an, as we talked about in our post-World uh, Championship th- uh, discussion, just having that amazing run at the World Championships. Uh, I'm super excited to see Shalane get after it, especially now that we've, you know, you and I, I think you've always been a Shalane fan. I've always kind of been a sort of on the fence with her, but over the last six months or so, as I've done more research and seen her sort of come out of her shell in a lot of ways and become be a personality beyond just the runner, I'm a, I've become more and more of a Shalane fan and for Shalane fan and for her to run that kind of time, which is really smoking fast for a 5k period that's boding really well for New York City, and I'm super excited to see. It's kind of cool to think that Amy will be able to pay it forward with Shalane in their training sessions and bury herself a little bit to help her training mate. (laughs) It's really, really cool to see Shalane make a return. I I noticed in the the, um, news release that came out on it, she says, I think I have one more big race in me. 
Don't say that, Shalane. <laughs> I'm hoping you have more than one more big it's, race it's in you. It's more than that. I hope sure. so. I really hope so. But I also, but it also shows sort of her fighting spirit too. That she's like, I'm gonna give it. Like I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm telling you guys this because I want to put it on the wall. I'm pointing at the fence. I'm pointing at the green monster. I'm gonna hit a home run on this day or do everything I can to try to make it happen. Super happy to hear that about Shalane. I think she's also started to get a little taste of life after the sport. I know she has talked about in that release. The injury period that she had earlier this year allowed her to do some traveling. They took her and her husband took their first vacation. They were fostering some girls from Africa, some teenage girls from Africa. She got involved, obviously promoting her book, Run Fast, Eat Slow. Apparently, she's also working on a sequel for that. So I think she started to taste a little bit of the life after the sport and can now maybe see that more clearly than before and maybe isn't sure how much more she wants to put into focus training now that she's gotten to experience some of what life could be post-sport but seeing her get back after it and run 1457 tells me that she's got a lot left and I'm excited to see what she can do do in New York because I think she can win that race we haven't seen the full international field yet so we don't know exactly what her competition looks like from an American side she's got Kellen Taylor Stephanie Bruce would be the two other fastest Americans we also have Alephine Tilliamuk who was our fastest U.S. competitor at World Cross and who has won a bunch of road races. She's going to be making her second marathon or doing her second marathon in this one. And you've got to think she's going to be in the mix for first American as somebody who's up and coming. So it's going to be interesting, but we're definitely rooting for Shalane in in maybe ways we haven't always. Well, and one other thing about Shalane, don't retire. Joan Benoit never, Joan Benoit Samuelson never retired. She just got a little slower and kept pounding away. So don't pull the retirement card. You don't need to do that. Just keep running. Surprise us when you jump in. Enjoy it. Know what you're doing it for what reasons. And the girl, I mean, Shalane can run sub-225, I I mean, on call almost. So, you know, she won't be able to do that for a lot, lot, lot longer. But I hate it when people say, I'm retiring from the sport. No offense, Scotty, but don't retire. Just find something else to do with the sport, you know? Right. Anyway, I, I, I'm, I'm walking. I'm stepping slowly off my <laughs> pedestal, my soapbox now, and I'll probably find some other reason to get on it later in this in this. So podcast. the other thing we have to mention about Chelaine is that in this past week, she was also upgraded, just like Kara was upgraded for her world bronze to silver. Chelaine's Olympic bronze was upgraded from 2008 Beijing to a silver. She recently posted on Instagram a picture with her new silver medal in hand. The same athlete that got busted from the Worlds in Kara's race was busted from the Olympics in Chelaine's race in 08. And so she got a medal upgrade. And I wonder, we haven't yet, she's obviously super excited about it. We haven't yet gotten a lot from her on what that means to her in more detail, but it'll be interesting once she talks about it. I was at that race in 2008 when she crossed the line in third. And I remember she held her hands up with a number three on it, asking people around, did I get third? Because the race was crazy. It went out super fast and she had gotten gapped pretty well, but she just slowly picked off that next pack and moved into third position, but it wasn't in it to win. And so when she crossed, she was passing people because it was a pretty big race. And she was a little bit behind first and second. So she didn't know at least fully where she was. And so she was holding up that three fingers asking, did I get third? Did I get third? And then, of course, she got the confirmation and went absolutely crazy. So it was super cool. I remember seeing that in person. But I wonder what that would have meant to her if it had been a silver at the time. Yeah, we had that interview with Kara where she talked about 
not just in our interview, but with other ones that she's talked to, her, her perspective of it being, if I had been able to get second, would it mean that I would have thought I could win in some future race? And um, that saddens us, Chris. That's, uh, that's, yeah. some, that's some serious bullshit. But the other thing to look at this, though, the resurgence we're seeing in American distance running from the 800 meters all the way to the marathon is part two people I think are, are, are most instrumental in my opinion, and they're both females. And that, that's Kara and Shalane in, and, and Desi and Desi to a big extent as well. They are so instrumental in people believing that Americans can compete. And if they had both gotten silver at that time, would they have believed that they could, could win instead of just competing? What's awesome now is what those, those races that happened in 2007, 2008, 2009. Now, you know, Nine, ten, you know, nine, six, seven years later, the women are saying we're going for the wins. Um, and, and and Amy Craig is able to say, I'm going for it. I'm never going to give up the fact that I'm going to medal and I'm going to medal big. And we're we're in a brave new era, and it's it's thanks in large part to those three women, in my opinion. Um, the men are catching up too, but I think the men, um, it's such a different game for them. It's. Just I don't know. I just think those three women are way make everybody believes they can race now. Everybody believes they can win. And when we look at it, they can. Like you just said, Shalane could win New York. Like when we talked about it at Boston a couple years ago, we we were just kind of like, yeah, Shalane can win New York, win Boston. Yeah, not really. But now we really believe it, which is a sea change in in the way we look at They're our sport. They're fearless. I mean, Emma is fearless. Jenny Sampson fearless, and a large in large part because they've seen Kara and Shalane be fearless. And so it's cool to see that play out now in, in the next generation. The other thing that's crazy I was just thinking is that when she when Chelaine got that bronze, now silver, she was coached by John Cook. She had a different coach. She made the switch to Schumacher after winning an Olympic medal and obviously has gone on to have great success at the marathon distance and every distance with Jerry Schumacher's Bowerman Track Club. But it, I wonder what would have happened with her and her coaching situation had she actually gotten silver here. Would she have made the switch? Who knows? Can't really judge and look back, but it's just interesting. Well, Cook stopped coaching, so she kind of had to move no matter what. And and she knew what, and she also knew where her strengths li- lie. And the way Cook coaches athletes, I know, I know pretty intimately, having watched Leo over the years. Um, but he, he, Cook is way closer to what what Alberto does than what Jerry does. So there's a lot of drills, a lot less mileage, a lot more focus on speed and turnover and mechanics. Whereas Jerry is about, as we talked about at our, in our world championship, it's do the work, put the work in. It's, it's a hard grind and find some others who love to hurt because that's what it's all about. And it's paying off, but we'll be rooting for Shalane. She goes to race New York on November 5th. It's always televised, so we definitely encourage our listeners to check that out. Second marathon we have to talk about, and these aren't necessarily in order, but it was announced today that Bekele v. Kipchoge in Berlin is going to be a reality. So you're going to have now three 203 guys facing off to try to get the world record in Berlin. Kipchoge has said he wants the world record to kind of cement his greatest of all time position as a marathoner. Bekele has said in the past six months that he has wanted to go for that world record. Wilson Kipsang had the world record previously. 
So you've got three guys, all that have run between 203. Bikaley actually has the fastest PR. 203.03, excuse me. And then 203.05 is Kipchoge's PR. 203.13 is Kip Sang's PR. So three guys that have run 203 low, all going for the world record in Berlin. It's going to be fireworks. What do you think about that oh, matchup? so cool. The, I was already excited about the Kip Sang Kipchoge battle because Kip Sang ran, he made that race in Berlin in 2016 last year. I mean, people don't realize that that 203.13 and 203.03, they happened in the same race. They were racing each other. The only reason one of them didn't break the world record was because they started racing, yep. which just makes this thing so cool. To me, I think we may see our first marathon world record where they act, where people are actually racing each other. And now, because to me, that's always been a big challenge in my view of the world record in the marathon as opposed to world record on the track. The world record on a marathon, so rarely are they going stride for stride. So much to the pacing play such a huge role in what happens. So if these guys break the world record, which I truly believe they can, seeing how close Bekele and Kipsang did last year at Berlin, there are three guys that are going to be hammering each other. I saw some some uh, some chatter on the boards about whether Bekele's really ready. I'm sorry, Bekele may have made noise about he was pissed that they didn't send him to Rio. What would have happened to what would have been a Bekele Kipchoge showdown in, in in Rio had they let that happen? But they didn't, and so what happened? You know, Bekele just went out there, stomped Kip Sang, stomped him, beat him by ten seconds, missed the world record by six seconds in a real race. Um, this is going to play out to being so exciting. I don't think I've been more excited for a marathon in a long, long time. I was excited about Boston this year. Of course, we didn't really know exactly who all the players were at Boston. It was mostly sort of getting excited about about Rupp and their implications of a Rupp win and an American win at Boston. But these three guys going head-to-head, oh, man, it's um, it's going to be fireworks. I guarantee you I will be up early in the morning paying attention to that feed, trying to figure out what's happening. It's going to be very, very exciting. Even if they don't break the world record, I'm just excited to see these three guys go after each other. Bekele, is he fully 100%? He didn't run Worlds on purpose. I guarantee you it didn't run Worlds because of this. He knew what he was getting ready for. I think that he's that's he's going to be ready. Kip Sang has stated he's going for the world record. He's going for the race. He's not afraid of anyone, which is awesome. And, of course, Kipchoge, we know what's going to happen there. The man's going to come president legit. It's going to be a showdown. Kipchoge's I'm so like, excited. hey, I can run two hours. I don't know what you guys are talking yeah. about. It, it, I, I don't know how much that benefits him, honestly. I'm not sure. It doesn't hurt him, certainly. You know what I mean? If you had that kind of a simulation, it's got to be a huge benefit. But um, you actually wonder if part of Kipchoge's entire plan was to utilize that from a training perspective. Did he and Patrick Sang have a sort of a, a plan and a, an effect of, hey, if we can get a benefit of running 26.2 miles simulated um, in, in, a, in a simulated environment where you can get the benefits from doing that, where will that play out? I mean, from a training effect, who knows how that plays into the game for all of that. Um, again, our sport, if like we said in our world championship, if you didn't listen to our world championship post-op, listen, our sport's real now. We've got real, we've got Americans in the game. We've got, We've got real racing happening. It's time for uh, all of the, all media outlets to start in the United States to start paying attention to this sport. It is super exciting, and the athletes are showing up, p- 
paying, they're showing up to play at the key times going head to head. It's super exciting. Very excited for this. So, and just as context, Dennis Cometo is the current world record holder. As Steve alluded, the world record is now 202.57, set by Dennis Cometo in Berlin. So it's a super fast race course. Owns the course itself owns the marathon world record, and now you've got three guys that have run within 16 seconds of that world record going head to head. So kudos to those guys for being willing to face off against each other face to face, but also to Berlin for bringing them all together. I'm sure that wasn't cheap to get those three in the same race in terms of appearance fees, but definitely going to be some fireworks. September 24th, there will be information I'm sure going out on how you can live stream that. So we'll make sure you have it. As fans, and, and we have may to have to do. A, we, we have to do on our next one, Chris. A little see who make our own picks just to see what happens. Yeah, there will be predictions for sure. Maybe not on the next one. Sometime closer to the twenty fourth when we get a little more insight into how a little these more guys context. Are doing. Yep. Incidentally, some people may not know, but Bekele has he's training with a coach now who has his own sub two effort going in terms of trying to figure out this science behind getting under two hours. So. He's in the mix for that, too, just like Kipchoge is. So it's going to be interesting. Fireworks in Berlin, September 24th. All right. So now we've got to talk about another major marathon. All of these, by the way, are world marathon majors. Chicago also coming up on October 8th. Chicago, interestingly, as kind of a counterpoint to Berlin, is getting flack for not having a very competitive field. In fact, it's their least competitive field posted in the last 10 years. And Galen Rupp is in this one, but let's run.com are one of our favorite running resources kind of called out the Chicago marathon and said, Hey guys, this is bullshit. You're setting this up so that Rupp can win by not giving him a lot of competition. At the time they wrote that article, there were only two other guys that had run under 208 with him. Dennis Cometo being one of them who hasn't really had a good result since his world record attempt. And then you had Abel Karui, who's run 205, but also doesn't necessarily have recent results indicating he can give up a run for his money. So, and by the way, Chicago is a Nike-sponsored event, so there was just some conspiracy theorists out there theorizing that this was set up for Rutt to get the victory without a whole lot of competition. Since that blog came out, it was announced that Faisa Lalisa Actually, the Ethiopian we've talked about on here who raised the axe and got a silver medal in Rio last summer is going to now be in this field. So it's at least Rupp versus Lalisa, but not super deep. What's your take? Are they really teeing it up for Rupp? It's, I mean, you know, Alberto is sort of something he would pull, you know, something he would look at, you know. And I'm sure that the fact that we heard about this just recently it may could be very well that Chicago said we need to do something. Um, I'm not convinced that Lelise is going to be completely ready, depending because his the, his life has been exceedingly complicated in the time frame that he's been here. But we do know he's a warrior, right? And and he's beaten up head to head at the Olympics in Rio. So I I think this at, le- at least raises the bar of Chicago. Certainly not going to keep me on the edge of my seat in terms of what happens there. I'll be interested. I'll be paying attention. But I'll be way more interested in tracking my athletes that are running in that race than I will necessarily be tracking what's happening in that race as opposed to Berlin where it's like, I mean, world championships, it's not even, it's this, that race is, folks, that's one of the crazy things about marathoning is 
the three best marathoners in the world, in my opinion, at this point, up, up uh, outside of the the dude who won Boston and the World Champs, I'm forgetting his name right now. He, they, I mean, these three guys at Berlin, it's the real deal. Um, Chicago will be an interesting. I'm interested to see see if Rupp can run fast. So to me, that's the most interesting thing. Will he's running on a fast course? Will Rupp go for running fast? I hope so. Um, if he wants to compete against the Kipchogis and the Bekeleys and the and the Kipsangs and the and the fastest in the world, he's going to have to be able to run fast. He's going to be able to have to be able to change gears, um, like Amy Craig did in the final 800 meters of a of a huge big race. And can he do that? It'll be interesting to see. Um, we know his heart's there. We know that he's got the competitive drive. It'll be interesting to see um, where he sits and how, how, how Chicago plays into a longer-term plan for, for Galen Rupp. To me, the reason to run Chicago is to run fast. He's only been in races so far, and his PR isn't near his capability as a result. But the problem with that is Chicago isn't paced. You know, The context for me here is not necessarily the Nike conspiracy theorists thinking that this is teed up for Rupp. To me, it's more of a strategic statement by Chicago Marathon itself that really started a few years ago when they took pacers out of the race. Chicago used to be the course where the world record was set and still is the course where Paula Radcliffe set the fastest known time, the Mm -hmm. FKT, even though it's not officially a world record now for women's marathoning. But they were in this arms race with London, with Berlin. Fast courses, trying to run fast, bring in fast people to set that world record and kind of constantly one-up each other. At some point, Chicago decided they wanted out of that arms race, pulled pacers out, decided they wanted to make it a race, partially because Kerry Pinkowski said he'd gotten jaded by the doping culture, realizing that a lot of what running fast or this push to run fast was doing was only promoting it. So he sort of said, look, we're out of that game. We're going to go to the game of New York and Boston. We're pulling pacers out. We want to see a race. So now that's your context. And so to me, this is more about them realizing, hey, we don't necessarily have to pay a bunch of money to a bunch of Africans to get people excited about our front, the front of our race. We bring in Rupp. We bring in Jordan Essay on the women's side. And that's enough. So saving a whole lot of money on fast Africans. But Chris, is it really enough? Because, I don't know. It's because, a good question. Berlin, because Berlin just got the three fastest in the world and they have times and the, I mean, not the three. Fa- I mean, Kometo's still the fastest, and he'll be at Chicago. But they have the three most legitimate marathoners at this point in time. I mean, even I think you and I can both agree: if Galen were at Berlin, we wouldn't be giving him a ghost of a chance, right? Right. We would be giving him a chance to be to run a fast race and to maybe pick some people off at the end and be a wily. Because because I do believe Galen is a smart racer and he would be pretty wily. But I mean, I think that basically what Berlin has just said is, "F you, the rest of the world." We're going to do it our way. We're going to get the best athletes. They found deep, deep pockets to make it happen. And guess what? I think they're going to get a return on that investment. I would. This is Berlin is a race I would pay eighty dollars to actually watch if I had to do it, honestly, yeah. because I would want to know what was going on, and I would want to see the play by play. I would want to see what was happening. So, the good news is that I think we're going to see a moving target on this idea of pacers versus not pacers. And now that we've got head guys willing to go head to head, utilizing each other to get faster. This has been happening in the half marathon world, by the way. You and I follow the half marathon. We don't 
talk about it as much, but we're seeing consistently the very best in the world go head-to-head in the half marathon to try to run as fast as they can. And so I think that that's now playing up into the marathon, which is a great thing to see. Um, again, we'll probably see Kipchoge and a couple of these other guys try to get into races where they're all by themselves because for all these guys, it could be that Kipchoge, I wouldn't be surprised at some point in time, some of those guys, those of those three guys in Berlin, maybe one of them bailing out and saying, hey, I can't get the world record when I'm racing. You know, I mean, I don't think it's going to be Kipchoge. He's not going to blink. And and certainly, Bekele came in late. So is Kip saying going to step out? I don't think so. I, I just think there's a lot of interesting plays here in terms of no. raising the bar for marathoning generally, Kip which is saying, good. Kip saying wants to get Bekele's scout. Oh, he does. I mean, he's, he, he's, he's, he did. He, he made time. that race, man. He made right. that race. I went back and watched the last bit of that race yes, uh, today, and I was like, Kip Sang made that happen, and then became, and then they all, and they backed off. You know, they backed off with 3K to go. They lost, they missed, they lost 12 seconds on that world record over the last 2K because they were gaming each other trying to figure out what was going to go. At that point in time, Kip Sang should have said, I'm going to break the world record. We'll just see if he outkicks me. Yeah. Because he was not going to outkick that. And I'm sure Kip Sang learned that and he's, his training has been reflected in that. He's going to have a tough road to hoe against these guys. He's going to have to hope to get away. He'll have pacers to do, help him do it too. But as it relates to Chicago, I think it's a mistake by the race. I mean, this is a world marathon major. That means you should bring major competition to your race. And yeah, you got outbid for those three, but there's still other great marathoners that might be out there. And maybe some of this has to do with the fact that some of those ran in London at the World Championships, but there's still got to be others out there that would push Rupp at a minimum and get a race that's going to be more competitive up front. Well, they brought one in, so we know that. And maybe we'll see a few more. We still have a little bit of time. I know marathoning is a lot harder you know, even right. these guys at this level, they need eight, at least eight weeks to really be ready. But maybe some of them haven't declared which way they're going or where they're going. But um, so we'll we see. For, see. Sure, for sure, people will be a little less interested in what happens at Chicago, I think. And I think that Chicago will hopefully learn from that. We will see. So there you go. You've got quite a lineup. September 24th, Berlin, October 8th, Chicago, and then New York on November 5th all marathons that we'll be tuned into and of course giving you our predictions and and our recaps afterwards as well so look forward to that we're excited as the fall marathon racing season hits us soon all right let's switch gears we're going to go into our interview as we teed it up at the top we've got mallory brooks with us and allison maxis who just set the fastest known time for unsupported women on the wonderland trail 93 miles around mount rainier Huge, amazing accomplishment. They did it in 29 hours and 12 minutes. And we will bring them in now to chat. Okay, now we're going to cut to our interview with Mallory and Allison talking about their FKT fastest known time attempt and record on the Wonderland Trail around Mount Rainier in Washington. Welcome, Mallory and Allison. Hello. Hi there. Good, good to have you guys on. And congratulations, first of all. Thanks. It's quite an epic adventure, and we're going to get all the details now. But before we dive into the actual meat of the run, let's talk about how it all started. So, Mallory, I'll take this to you. Where did this crazy idea come from? So, when I was 16, I climbed Rainier uh, with, a, with my dad and a climbing mentor, and 
had only ever heard about this trail that ran around it, but I was only at the time interested in mountaineering. And 93 miles sounded insane to me. That didn't even sound fathomable. So it took a few years to go by because I'm not uh, not even 26. So, okay, it was at least a decade ago um, for this to kind of seem like a, even a possibility. And a few years ago, my husband and my son and I moved to Seattle, uh, heard a ton of people talking about doing this run or doing this 93 mile circumnavigation over near over the course of five, six, seven, eight days. And I thought, well, I want to go do this, but maybe I want to go try it quickly. I never got the chance while we were living up there. And it took coming back here to want to really go back to the Pacific Northwest and knowing an ideal partner, having somebody that could go do it with me, just made it all kind of seem like the pieces were falling into place. And when I introduced it to Allison, she pretty quickly just said yes and then asked for all the details later. Well, that was easy. What was your reaction, Allison? Um, before last spring, I had actually never heard of this trail before in my life. Um, but I had a series of three different people bringing it to my attention within about a two-month period. Um, the first was Katie Conlin, who's guiding for us at Rogue Expeditions. She had been living in Seattle, and she did a multi-day run on that trail. Um, of course, the name kind of catches your attention. Um, so I had seen her photos, and then I was up in Vancouver, and a friend up there mentioned it. He had also done a multi-day run on that trail. Um, and literally a week after I got back from Vancouver last year um, was when Mallory came up and said, hey, I'm thinking about trying to set the FKT on the Wonderland Trail. You want to go? And it was kind of, I think, having it come up three times like that in a row um, really kind of caught my interest. And, you know, like I've said before, I have a really hard time saying no to things. So I immediately told her yes last spring. Um, and then that night, I think I backtracked um, after I had some sense talked into me, realizing I had no business training for or running 93 miles last summer, um, told her I would help her. You know, it sort of evolved into the two of us doing a scouting run last summer and then deciding to go for the full thing this year. So this was two years ago that you guys started having the conversation? Uh, last year. Well, okay, so sometime last year because yeah. you guys scouted it last summer, a yes. year and a half ago. Yeah. Before we get too far down the Wonderland Trail FKT path, let's talk about FKTs for a second just to set the context. There's, as we said, something called Fastest Known Time FKT. There's a a message board, essentially a website kind of dedicated to FKTs called fastestknowntime.proboards.com that is administered by Peter Bachwin, who's, from what I understand, a, a trail running badass in his own right. right. And so he kind of administers this board of essentially just gentleman agreement kind of <laughs> terms on what's the fastest known time on various routes, and it's all grouped by region. And there's certain very loose rules about how to verify it on FKT. Can you, and I want to take this to Allison, I'm sure you've spent some time on those boards. Talk about it. What is an FKT? How is it verified through the boards? And then talk about the three different types of FKTs. Um, so really to verify an FKT, which is fastest known time, um, and there's hundreds and hundreds of them, all different regions, you know, I think you can make a career just out of creating new new records. Mallory and I actually talked about that during the run. Um, but essentially, you've got to have some sort of public tracking method where people can follow along. Um, and then, of course, you also want your Garmin GPS da data. Um, basically, you need to make it public so that 
people know you aren't just faking it because anyone could show up and take a photo at the trail sign and say, you know, I ran the whole thing. Um, but it is tricky. We had some problems with tracking, which I'm sure we'll get into later. Um, but mainly the three types are supported, unsupported, and self-supported. So a supported FKT means you can have crews, you can have friends out there who are going to give you water, food, gear, let you drop things, all of that kind of stuff. Self-supported is means you're all on your own, but you can drop supplies. You could have you know, a place where you can go and drop a pack and get a new one or food or whatever that is. Um, and then unsupported, which is what we did, means that you carry absolutely everything you're going to need on your own back and you carry it the full time. No resupplies, no drops, no material or physical assistance from a crew. Was there ever any question about which version of the three you guys were going after? No, I think from the beginning we talked about doing this unsupported. Um, I like the idea of the simplicity of carrying all your own stuff. There's a lot more navigation involved and logistical kind of planning and I think that I think Allison and I are both pretty good at. Um, not to mention that the supported time is always going to be much faster. So it at least to me seemed slightly more possible that we could do this unsupported. Isn't this route also got like huge portion of it that pretty much has to be unsupported anyway? Yeah, so that's what's interesting, right? So you have this supported section. It's like, well, the women who did it were still carrying their own stuff for a solid 30 miles. It's not like they could get a crew to run with them, just hand them granola bars the whole time. But there is a lot to be said for that somebody was running with them, pumping their water. Um, anytime we stopped to try to figure out which direction we were going, they would have had someone there saying, don't bother pulling out a map. This is where you're going. So, in a, I mean, yeah, you can, of course, go much, much, much faster with a support crew. What are the differences yeah. on the Wonder Island Trail for, for supported versus now your unsupported record, just for context? The supported record, number? I believe, is 22 hours and change. Is that correct, Mallory? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's a pretty, it's a pretty big gap. And you guys came in at 29 hours and 12 minutes, if I'm yes. getting that right. Right. Yes. So let's talk about once you decided preparation. You, you talked already about doing the, the scouting run where you guys did almost two-thirds of the Wonderland Trail last summer in August. What else went into getting ready for this adventure? We both spent a lot more time training, at least in Colorado, at, at Elevation. Uh, Jason and I tried to make as many trips to Camp Elevation as we could. Um, Allison was living up in BV for a while. Uh, and other than that, mostly for me, just getting in much higher mileage, spending more time training with Team Rogue and getting in um, almost all of my long run trainings with the pack that I was going to be using for the Wonderland Trail. And Allison? Yeah, I think I think for me, I have been able to be at altitude in the mountains since the 1st of June, which has been really helpful. Um, I would say my overall mileage was actually probably lower than when I'm home marathon training, but I got a few long efforts in, not as long as I wanted, but I think for me, it was just a focus on getting strong. And so I did some eight hour stretches on my feet in the mountains. Um, and I think a lot of it for me was mental, just getting comfortable being alone in the woods, trying to get over that fear of bears and getting used to carrying everything I was going to need. Um, so I really felt very confident in that aspect going into this run, um, which I think it helped a lot being out in the mountains for a couple of months. Describe the Wonderland Trail. I mean, it's 
we know it's 22,000 feet of gain, 22,000 feet of descent. What are people in for on this trail? What does it look like? And Mallory, since you did some version of it as a kid, give us a little bit of context. So generally the trail... Think about it like a pie crust. It basically just makes this big circle, and it's constantly going up and down and up and down. Um, there are very, very few really flat, runnable sections. Almost, I mean, it's runnable, but uh, almost everything has either elevation gain or loss. There aren't a ton of flat sections. Um, you have everything from a wide path where Alice and I felt like we could just run next to each other to a really, really narrow path where if you don't watch your footing, one leg kind of slid off the side. Um, you had smooth, like, you know, almost like crushed granite kind of rocky path. And then you had big rocks. You had roots. We had at least two dozen water crossings, most of which have really well done bridges to get across. Um, and then what we didn't experience last time that was new this time was at least half a mile of travel in the snow and at least a mile of traveling through basically like bushwhacking these massive branches that had just come across the trail and soaked you. So maybe, I don't know how far in we were, but it was maybe 10 hours before we ever expected to have our feet wet. All the water from the leaves had just soaked our shoes and our socks through. So pretty much everything you can imagine. So everything under the sun. Now, Let's go to those hours before you begin. What were final preparations like? And how did you feel mentally? Allison. Um, it was all kind of a whirlwind for me. I think, you know, we've been anticipating this for so long. And for me, coming from a road racing background, I didn't have anywhere near the kind of nerves I would have before a marathon or something like that. I was really excited about it. Um, but I think that there were some things I was a little wary of, a lot of it being that river crossing, things like that. Um, but the whole process of flying into Seattle, getting the car, picking up Mallory and Jason, driving out to the park, setting up camp. Um, we were so busy for the first 24 hours we were there that really, I mean, we were packing our packs, what, probably at 6, 7 p.m. the night before we were going to start, right before it got dark out at the campsite. And then it was literally eating some food, going to sleep, and then got up and it felt like we were kind of going. I almost, morning of, I felt rushed, um, kind of like I hadn't had a chance to sit back and think about this thing yet, which of course, there was plenty of time to think during the run. Um, so I would not say the nerves for me were nowhere near what they normally are in a race situation, but I definitely had some last minute, just sort of like, oh man, am I ready for this? Um, but you know, 6am came and went and we started. What, Mallory, what was the hardest or most surprising or kind of biggest curveball you got in the last 24 hours? Uh, leading up to yeah. the start, everything went really smoothly uh, for the most part. I kind of went through this week before freak out moment period of over a few days where I was like just losing it at home. Like I'm so nervous and what do we set ourselves up to do? And what if we have to come back to all these people that believed in us and tell them that we didn't do it? And so that when, by the time it actually rolled around, I was like, as we say, the haze in the barn. It's like, what are we, there's nothing else we can do now other than maybe like leave behind a headlamp or something catastrophic. But Allison is so good at planning everything. And I tried to just kind of be calm and 
do everything as we had planned and we did and we didn't really have any hiccups leading up to the start and the start is like so uneventful I think we have a video of it it's like there's a kind of non-eventful countdown and hit the start button on your watch and you slowly start to walk away and then realize we should start running and before you know it, you're in it. Like Allison said, we tried to sleep as late as we could. So we woke up at five, took off at six. That hour doesn't give you a whole lot of time to really make mistakes or get nervous or you're just moving forward. I remember from the video, Gabe said something like, you guys better get going. <laughs> Y'all better hurry <laughs> up. <laughs> that was, that was actually the about end. 30 was... miles in, I think. <laughs> oh, that's right. Okay. Now, when did you make the decision? Because most people have done this FKT going clockwise. You guys made the decision, and you ran last summer clockwise as well. You made the decision to reverse course and go counterclockwise, which meant that the hardest part of the run was going to be towards the end. Talk about that decision. How did you make it? How easy was that decision to make? It was like a, what, maybe a week before the start or before yeah. our start date that – I started thinking about what time we would be crossing the South Mowich River, that if we were crossing it at night, hopefully it would be a little lower. The two things we were most concerned about were the, the river crossing and navigating in the snow. And if we went clockwise, we would be traveling across the South Mowich River in the middle of the day when the water is highest, and we'd be navigating through the snow section at night when we're tired and obviously not as capable of seeing where we're going. So it dawned on me that we could maybe try to go in the reverse direction and start with fresh legs and fresh mind on the terrain that we hadn't actually crossed. And it seemed ridiculous to make such a massive change to our plan, but I kind of laid out the uh, reasons for why, and I feel like Allison just texted back like, okay, <laughs> let's do it. Yeah, I was I was in the middle of finishing up our Tahoe trips and Honestly, I hadn't even begun to think about this run yet. It was probably a week away um, when Mallory was texting me all of this. And once our groups left, I probably spent 20 minutes Googling some trail reports. Really couldn't find many records at all of anyone going counterclockwise. Everyone just seems to go clockwise by default. Um, but there were a few accounts of people who'd done it the opposite way and said they really didn't think it was significantly harder. Um, but I thought her points were fair, and I personally... I'm very, very new to snow and anything I could do to get that done in the daylight I was up for. So, you know, it's like a lot of things. I tend to just say yes and figure it out later. And I think it was definitely the right decision for sure. So I had the uh, wonderful opportunity to get to watch both these uh, ladies prepare for this event. I I sort of coach them both. It's kind of hard to say I coach them explicitly, although I'll take credit when they do things badass shit like they did um, with this FKT for sure. But uh, I got to spend a good bit of time with Allison, um, well, a little bit of time with Allison on uh, on on a run where we did encounter a little bit of snow, and I can attest to the fact that we, she had a little <laughs> a little meltdown moment. And I think how much snow did we have there? Like four feet and a drop off or something like that. And I remember oh, thinking, yeah. you were like, I didn't wait. Yeah, on Monarch Crest, and you were like, I need to, I need a second. Give me a second. Yep. <laughs> <It> started <laughs> laughing. I was laughing. And, I, and when I read your race report afterwards, um, I knew how how Mallory's points probably were well taken by you, Allison, in terms of saying, okay, that makes a whole lot more sense, given that, given that 
so many unknowns happen in a situation like that with the snow. So before we get on to the race itself, I want to ask a couple of questions about training since I had a little bit to do with that. And a lot of what we talk about with this podcast is on the training side. Allison, I'm going to push this one to you first. And then I have a, a, a secondary question I want to ask Mallory. But my first question for you, Allison, is talk a little bit about your mental approach to the training that you did do over this summer when you were at Altitude and in, in, in Buena Vista, Colorado, um, and the environs around there, and and what the way you approached both the physical training and the mental training, I think our listeners would be really interested in understanding how a, a, a badass fast marathoner like yourself approaches a 93-mile race run and and how you kind of looked at it from a training perspective, both physically and mentally. I know that's a big question, but I'm sure you can wander yeah. about it a bit. Yeah, I am. I wouldn't say I had a very clear plan at any point. Um, my thought was mainly that I just needed to be strong physically and mentally. And so that's kind of what I wanted to focus on. Um, I don't have really any experience training for this kind of a distance. So I just was sort of just trying different things. Um, for me, being in Buena Vista, Oh yeah, Obviously, that's oh yeah. One one second, one second, Allison. That's right. I forget that you ran a hundred miles with a hundred mile race without actually being prepared for it. We should probably yes, remind everybody. I have that. done that. Yeah, and I it was humbling, and I was not <laughs> sure I was ever going to do it again. Um, so I definitely I knew by default I would be better prepared this time just because I've actually done some trail running now. Um, that was a few years ago before I had ever been on trail before. Um, but being in Buena Vista was, you know, there's a, so many trails out there. It's there's really nothing else to do. I would work all day and then I would have the flexibility to go spend two or three or four hours on the trail every day. And I had zero interest in running on the road there. There aren't many roads and there are so many trails. Um, so really it was kind of nice the last few summers that I've spent in the mountains. I've kind of had you know a fall marathon or some kind of road thing coming up where I felt like I needed to get on the road and do speed work. And I really didn't want to at altitude. Whereas this summer I actually needed to be on the trails. Um, so it was actually a lot of fun for me. And again, I think I just went in with the perspective that I needed to get as strong as I could. So um, I, I think my average run, I was probably spending two to three hours a day just to go for a run. And then on the weekends, I would hit 30 or more miles, um, might be out there for seven or eight hours. And so really, it was just learning how to keep moving forward, I think. Um, I'm definitely good at kind of putting my head down and suffering through things, which is lends itself well to this type of run. And because I'm actually not very fast on trail at all, I've gotten better, but my downhill skills are so bad. The idea of training for something longer where strength plays a bigger factor um, really, really had me excited and kind of played to my strengths. Um, so really, I just got to spend a lot of time out in the woods, and I think it was it was great for the soul, <laughs> and it, it trained me pretty well. I was a little uncertain of the fact that I never went over 30 miles in training, but that didn't seem to matter a bit when it came down to the actual FKT. Did it cause trepidation when you thought, okay, I've been out for eight hours and, and conceivably I have another, another, you know, eight, I mean, another 16 to 20 more hours to go. Did you think about that or did you say, um, it is what it is. It'll be what it is. I think I was more of an, is it, it is what it is attitude. Um, because even on the times I did spend eight hours on the trail, I, at the end of that, I could easily see myself staying out for another eight. I didn't really go through anything that was that difficult. Um, I really did want to kind of try to hit the 40 or 50 mile distance at some point in the months leading up, but with my travel schedule and everything else, it just didn't work. And I actually 
had an injury flare up right after you and I ran that last time in BV. And I actually didn't run for almost two weeks after that. And then I did very little in Tahoe, as little as possible, trying to keep it all together um, so that I could actually get to this thing in one piece. So really for the last month, I was running some of the lowest mileage I've run in years. Um, so that messed with my head a bit. I was a little worried, mainly that I'd break, I think, during this run. I wasn't quite sure if I would hold together. So that was probably my biggest concern going in. But no, I don't think the idea of being out for 30 hours, honestly, I really, really enjoyed the training. And mentally, I felt very good going in. And I thought that was a really big piece of this whole thing. So Mallory, I, uh, I got to spend a little more time on a day-to-day basis with you when you're training for this. Talk to folks a little bit about your training background and um, the things you did differently in your training with Team Rogue and how that prepped you for what you thought you had to accomplish. Um, yeah. So my transition in training could not have been more different than Allison's. She dropped mileage got off the road, hit trail, and I increased mileage, got off the trail and hit road. Um, <laughs> last year during one of our biggest climbs, Allison was like way ahead of me and I'm like, hey, this is, I'm not feeling good. I'm breathing heavy. This is not, I just remember pausing and thinking, I will not let this happen again next year. And that meant pushing harder in training. And I, by training with Team Rogue, realized that I'm not, pushing myself when I run alone. And I'd never run with a group of people outside of just people that I trail ran with for fun. We were never actually doing a training run. We were just going on a social run. So I would say it's the first time I've ever actually trained any kind of, with any kind of formal group or with any kind of legit plan and followed it. Um, any kind of plan somebody else wrote me for, because if I write my own, I always know I can just push that back a day or two. There's no reason why it has to be there. Um, so my goal was just to get faster, get stronger, and I spent a lot less time on the trails and a lot more time on the road and just wanted to be able to kind of meet Allison in the middle, improve my road, and she was improving her trail. I also had the opportunity to run. I'll never forget this. Uh, I was up in, in Buena Vista, we call BV for our listeners. Um, I was up there and ran with Allison um, on a run or two, and I remember thinking, Mallory's in deep trouble. Allison is so fit and she's descending really well now and she's climbing like a like a like a mountain goat. And then when you came out to BV, uh, Mallory, I was like, holy shit, Mallory's in really, really good shape too. It was amazing to watch you transition to the trail and how really good I was really excited to see how this played out because I knew you two after those both those trips that you two were pretty evenly matched. And if you'd asked me that, I, th- I had a conversation with, with Allison at one point in time where I said, Allison, I think you're in trouble. You may be leaving Mallory behind. And Allison was like, I don't think so. I don't think you're right. I don't think so. Gabe agreed with me, but 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 Allison, but Allison didn't. <laughs> and um, but after those two those two trips, I was really confident in y'all doing it together. So tell us a little bit from both your perspectives, like what you thought about in that because two people running a race running a run like this together creates a lot of challenges in terms of what kind of mindset you're going to have about staying together leaving each other so tell us a little bit about your approach and then um and then from there i guess we can start talking a little bit about how this all played out in real time allison i'm going to toss that to you yeah um honestly i didn't think about the challenges of running together until it was over 
Um, I think we've done, so now we've done rim to rim to rim together, Wonderland last year, and then now this full Wonderland this year. And I think we're, you know, we kind of figured out each other's styles. I would say a year ago, my concern would be what you already mentioned, that I would climb a lot faster than her and she would descend a lot faster than me. And so we'd ultimately end up holding each other back. Um, but we both, you know, worked on our weaknesses and we're pretty well matched from a physical standpoint. And I think from a logistical kind of technique standpoint, we've done enough together now and it seems to flow really well. Um, that said, I was actually just a couple days ago kind of thinking about it. And my first attempt, the first time I ran 100 miles um, at Leadville back in 2013, you know, I signed up for that with a couple of college teammates for fun. And of course, it didn't work out. We were all split up by mile 50. And I still tell people the dumbest idea was to think we could stick together for 100 miles. No one can stick together for 100 miles. Um, so now I think it is kind of crazy, actually, that it went as smooth as it did. Um, I think our highs and low points balance each other out pretty well, and neither of us ever got too low to where it became a problem. Did you guys have a plan if one person was struggling? Did you talk about it? You know, we – it's kind of funny. We had an interview with um, – uh, with the Austin American Statesman before we went. And uh, I, I think it was, so we had our interviews separately and, and uh, Allison was asked, you know, what's your plan if you guys get separated? We were both asked the same question. Well, I didn't know what Allison's answer was, but when they printed the article, uh, she chose Allison's answer because Allison's was, yeah, of course we stick together. And mine was like, no man, it's like every man for themselves. <laughs> <laughs> and then when I saw Allison's answer, I thought, okay, maybe I should read. Uh, I'm just glad she didn't print my answer and that that's not how Allison figured out what my plan was. But I think there's so many different scenarios that you can create that it just, we're both really smart people. And we would never have gone with the other one if we didn't trust each other to make smart decisions. And if we were halfway through it and one person got injured, well, of course we'd both bail. If we're five minutes from the finish and I just get a stomach ache, well, of course you should keep going. I mean, there are so many different scenarios, but we never really got more than about, I don't know, one minute jog apart, maybe, I don't know, 20, 20 meters apart. Uh, we yeah. were always within, I was going to say, uh, talking distance, but... Uh, at some point, my ears shut off and Allison's voice went super hoarse. And I can only describe our conversations as like, Allison, like, how are you doing? What? <laughs> how are you doing? What? <laughs> Never mind. What? And it was just like, why did we even try to talk? And we'd go silent for like probably a really long stretch. And then we'd hear a big snap twig. Uh, like off in the darkness and suddenly we'd be like, Oh, that's a big noise. That's a big noise. Here we are on the trail. Like just, we were kind of losing our minds to a degree. Um, I was uh, hoping that I think Allison said that last, last time she did a hundred miles that she warned Gabe that uh, she was going to be a bitch and anything she said, like he couldn't use against her later. And part of me was kind of excited to see like Allison, the bitch come out and I'll have, you know, it didn't, she was like incredibly kind the whole time. Um, I think we're like, I didn't um, meet up with her on an uphill. Uh, I was ahead of her on the technical water crossings and I would fly down hills and she'd fly across different terrain and, I never felt like I was having trouble keeping up and I certainly never felt like I needed to slow down to match up with her. 
Before we talk about the run itself, let's talk purpose for a second. Obviously, you were trying to run the fastest known time on this trail and supported for females. But you said in the video, Mallory, that this was a selfish endeavor, that it wasn't meant to inspire others necessarily. Obviously, it has. And we were all following along on the site, watching your tracking information come through. But talk about that. Like, when you say it was a selfish endeavor, what do you mean by that? We had um, a woman, Tracy Fan, represent us and try to help find um, sponsors for us. And I remember Allison and I were sitting here at the speed shop uh, talking to her. And she said, well, what uh, charity are you doing this for? Who are you raising funds for? And I kind of went off on this tangent about how I really dislike when people say, I'm going to put my job on hold and run across America. And I want everybody who is still waking up early and going into work to donate money towards my cause. And we would never ask anybody to donate money towards us. This is just something that the two of us wanted to do. And we thought for maybe a second, should we like raise money for a charity? And we both couldn't immediately come up with one, which makes me sound like an awful person. But um, we just thought, no, the re- we don't want to try to seem like this isn't genuine. And the reason for doing this is to just be excited and be scared. And it's not, it wasn't to go out and inspire other people. And if nobody found out about it, or if our names didn't end up getting put up on this board, then we got out of it what we needed to get out of it. Which was what? Adventure and getting super excited. I'm dealing with that like a lack of that right now like it's hard to get up and it's hard to be excited and focused about something and it'll come back around it has to go in waves but it was fun to be really scared and it was fun to be driven and it was fun to go put out long hours knowing that what we're doing is bigger than just weekly mileage what about for you allison selfish pursuit what did it mean to you i mean at its core yeah definitely a selfish pursuit it's something that caught both of our caught our attention we got really excited about um for me having any kind of big personal challenges just gets me really excited um i get to spend a lot of time trail running all over the world and i have constant things to look forward to but something like this was really big and really scary and i don't get a whole lot of chances to indulge myself in that right now um so yeah at its core it was selfish but I do. I think from the beginning, I realized it would be inspirational for others, especially if we got it done. Um, and I think that's a great byproduct of doing this kind of thing. Um, I really wasn't too in tune with the FKT world before this. Honestly, not even till we got it done. I, You said I probably spent a lot of time on those boards. I really haven't. Um, it's kind of a whole new world for me. And so I think it's really cool to set a new bar and you know those kinds of things it just gives people something to shoot for. Um, it's going to get faster and faster. And, you know, kind of like I said in our blog, our record could get broken next week. And while I would love to hold it for a while, I'd be pretty excited for anyone who broke it because that just means it's going to get faster and faster. Um, so, I I mean, I think inspiring others is definitely an aspect of it, but it was not the core focus. And, and I'm with Mallory on the whole charity thing. Um, I realized the purpose of raising funds around some kind of athletic event is to draw attention to it um but i guess i've always felt like i would rather people just donate directly to something they feel strongly about and not have to use you know some a race or you know a personal challenge as an as an excuse for that so um 
yeah, that was definitely never the focus going in. And I'm, I'm glad we stuck to our guns on that because I don't know that it would have felt genuine to either of us. So let's talk about the run itself. Allison, I'll take this question to you. You started at 6 a.m. on August 14th from the Logmire campground there at the, the trailhead for the Wonderland Trail. What's in your pack? This is unsupported. You've got to carry all your own food and have the ability to make your own water for that 29-hour stretch. So what are you carrying? Oh, it felt like a lot. Um, so we have these, we had these ultimate direction seven liter packs, which are amazing. They carry really well, but I was a little nervous about fitting everything. Even as we started, I realized it was going to be an explosion every time I opened it to try to pull something out, um, until my food, you know, got eaten, but mostly it was food. I think I took about 4,500 calories worth of food, which I figured would be a little too much, but always better to have too much than not enough in these kind of situations. Um, I started with about a liter of water and I didn't plan to ever have more than that in my pack at once. There's pretty frequent water crossings and access on this trail. So I had a SteriPen to purify water with. Um, I had, I actually started wearing everything that I brought, which had me a little nervous about nighttime that I was already that cold. So I was in a tank top and shorts and I had a long sleeve shirt, kind of like a pullover um, a rain jacket. And then at the very last minute, I stuck a second long sleeve shirt in my pack or tied it to the outside, um, which I thought I was going to regret, but I didn't end up wearing it. So it's okay. Um, I also had, you know, basic first aid kit. Um, I had a phone for photos, which I really didn't need to have. Um, and then I carried a light throw rope and some poles, both as a guard against either the snowfields or the river crossing thinking we may need one or both. I did not end up needing them, but that was probably half the weight in my pack. And that was all strapped to the outside. Um, I think that was the bulk of it. I was wearing most everything else. What kind of food are we talking about here? What did you think you would want? Um, I tend to, I can pretty much eat peanut butter and jelly for hours and hours and not get sick of it. So I had quite a bit of that. I did a couple of um, like, Tortilla roll-ups with string cheese, just to have something savory. A lot of trail mix, the chocolate-covered espresso beans, which were key. Uh, a couple of bars. I don't really get that into bars. Um, so a lot more just baggies and mixes of trail mix, peanut butter-filled pretzels. I'm um, trying to get salty and sweet in there. Um, I spend enough time on the trail now. I, I can handle pretty much anything in terms of I don't get stomach problems. Knock on wood, I haven't yet. I can eat pretty much anything, and I tend to keep my appetite really well. Um, which I did. I was still, I was able to eat perfectly well throughout this whole run. Um, but I did try to keep a big variety of things just to keep it interesting. And I took two packets of baby food, which were not, um, were not that tasty and not that many calories, but I thought some kind of nutrients would be good. So I got one that had beets in it and another had some spinach and apples just to get something that wasn't just bread and peanut butter. What about for you, Mallory? How did your pack differ, if at all? I had about the same amount of food. We decided to start with a minimum of 4,000 calories. And I think I finished with all but like two goos eaten. We were much hungrier than I thought. I imagined that I would have to keep setting a timer and reminding us to eat, but our growling stomachs kept reminding us without any kind of alarm needed. Um, I had the same clothes. I didn't bring trekking poles. I ended up, I was carrying the Delorme InReach tracker. I was carrying the Garmin Phoenix 
Um, I didn't take a phone. We both had separate first aid kits. We both had water filters. So I think pretty much we, we laid everything out the night before and made sure that we were on board with the same stuff and that we wouldn't need to rely on each other. Um, but because we wanted to make sure if one person got hurt, the other person could keep going. And also because we didn't really know the rules of the uh, unsupported FKT, could you support each other? So we went ahead and just aired on the side of let's carry our own stuff. And we didn't share anything. Well, let's open that can of worms for just a small second. There is a lot of debate on the boards about unsupported and whether or not that counts if you're with someone else who's also running unsupported. And I think even now your FKT is asterisked with an unsupported team delineation. What was your perspective on that debate, Mallory? When we were out there, we kept saying, you know, Candace Burt did this alone. That's totally different. I wouldn't want to be out here alone. There's no part of me that wants to like travel through this by myself. I would rather be spend this time with somebody that I enjoy being around and not be afraid. Um, so w- we did have that thought running through our minds when we were doing this that like, yeah, we're going to set a new FKT, but we're not doing it the same way. So when Peter Backman came up with the team section, I don't see that as like fine print or an asterisk. It's like he, I, think we're both very happy that he kept Candace Burt's name up there. We didn't want to knock her name off. We just wanted to show that there was a faster, newer way of doing this. Um, Peter Backwin and Buzz Burrell came up with the term FKT. And on one of the message boards, he defended himself when somebody said, by definition, isn't traveling together supported. And they didn't do it that way. And Peter stepped in and kind of said, well, first of all, those are my words. And what I meant is you're not allowed to have anybody traveling with you whose goal is not also to complete the FKT with you. Yeah. So it counts, I think. I think. I mean, come (laughs) on. Well, I I kind of think that this whole idea of the FKT is a little bit of the Wild West anyway. And so who gives a flying fuck? I mean, ultimately, two women went as fast as they possibly could with each other through this. And believe me, I have done many of these things. I was actually out with these two women in BV, and they left my ass out on the trail. And I will tell you, if it was three of us together, they would have been in big trouble. They would not have gotten an FKT for sure. So FKT. So it is. There are. It, there's both strengths and weaknesses. There's positives and negatives. And ultimately, at the end of the day. Who cares as long as we're keeping track of, of apples and apples and making sure that we're talking apples to apples and, and, and oranges to oranges and not apples to oranges. And think, I mean, I think it's the coolest thing in the world. I don't want anybody to think that I'm saying the FKT doesn't matter. I think it's the coolest, most awesome innovation that we've got going on in the sport today because we don't depend upon paying $300 and $400 fucking entry fees to races. We don't have to worry about road clo- about about force closures and all these other things where human beings putting some strapping something to our back going running through moving through space to the best of our abilities in crazy and strange places if people can get excited about a strava segment we should be able to get excited about fkts so um i but it is i i did not know very much about this whole movement either and and y'all's race y'all's run brought a lot of these things to my attention and i just remember reading that stuff and saying where are the lawyers are showing up here come the lawyers here come all the things that are wrong with our sport the good news is mallory and allison had a fucking kick-ass time and really that's really what matters right so i want to also my in my next question i want to tell everybody our listeners 
these this you're not probably going to get a ton of blow by blow mile by mile in our podcast here because we just don't have time for it but Mallory and Allison did a fantastic job of documenting individual their individual experiences on that blog and they put it together in a way that they're talking about five to ten mile segments together with it and I highly recommend if you're still listening to us and you're interested in this please go read that because Wow, not only is it a moving and incredible story, but it's also just the nuts and bolts of how these things happen. It was it was really, really cool. So if you're still listening, listeners, please go and 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 read their their posts because it will give you a lot more intel than we can possibly give you in the time frame that we have here, I think. So Wonderland Trail FKT dot com. And we'll have it in our sh- we'll have it in our show notes. We'll have it in our show yeah. notes. <laughs> so one question I have now though is um we're gonna Talk a little bit about the the highlights and the low spots, um, Mallory. I'm going to send this to you first. Talk about the things in this as you've now you know sort of post opting the, the post operation. What what do you think of as like okay that was that was it, and then what was it at the point where you were like, wow, I hope that doesn't happen to me again. So again, I. Th- like the places where Allison's going to say she didn't like were probably some of my favorites. Um, the snow travel, I felt like a kid. I just remember I was like bounding through the snow and jumping around and I just like didn't feel like the snow lasted long enough. It felt good on my feet. It was soft. It was cold. It was like everything was perfect. It was beautiful. And the wildflowers out there are just insane. You get distracted by them. Um, so I had a lot of high moments probably all the way up (laughs) to about mile 50 ish I wasn't that worried about the water crossing and I don't know if that was more because when you're with somebody else that is so scared of something (laughs) you you kind of have to like keep it in or uh, try to hide it or act confident I just figured like we're really smart people we have a rope we're strong we knew of other people that had gotten through you saw other people that were hiking through that seemed slightly less capable every I feel like we were sizing up everybody we walked by we're like ah we got that if they can do it we can do this so I wasn't afraid of that part um I had a really low moment going up to I think it's Emerald Ridge um first Allison said we're going up to Cupcake Ridge and I was like oh she has lost it like here it goes I'm witnessing the crash of Allison Maxis <laughs> I wish I had a video she's gone she's going down and I, I think I looked at her I was like what are you talking about and in fact it was where Gabe met us last year with a cupcake because we did it on her birthday so we were going up to this ridge that we'd been to the year prior and yes so now we can call it cupcake ridge she did not lose her mind but moments later i stopped in my tracks i'd been leading and i turned around and just said allison the wheels are falling off and i was it was not laughing at the time it was not funny everything hurt everything i felt like like i used to just focus on okay your pinkies feel good and my pinkies didn't even feel good nothing felt good and i don't really remember what you said but i i took it as meaning yeah, you did 80 miles. What did you expect to feel like? And do you want to sit down? Because like nobody is coming after you. The fastest way to be done with this is to just keep going. So we switched leads. She took off and I just kept my eyes on her heels and kept going. Do you remember that moment, Allison? Yeah, I do. Um, Because it was very clear that Mallory had hit her low point of the run. (laughs) Um, 
you know, I was behind her at that point. I think we had stopped to get water or something and she had taken off first and she was slowing down. And, uh, yeah, once she, you know, told me the wheels were coming off and it was pretty clear, it was a pretty low point for her. Um, but I tend to feel better on the climbs and the descents and I was feeling pretty okay at that point. So I was trying to be a non-obnoxious voice of reason at that point. Um, and I think I did, you know, told her the truth, which was that the closest access point is our finish line. So we might as well keep going at this point. <laughs> so what about for you, Allison? What were your high highlights where you were like, this is the most amazing thing in the, in the spots where you were, please never again? Um, the highest point for me actually didn't have a great first 20, 30 miles or so. They weren't bad, but by mile three, my this hip issue I've had started acting up after a few weeks of it pretty much being gone, um, really by mile three, I was a little worried I wasn't even going to make it 10 or 15 miles. Um, I was a little worried about hurting myself seriously, um, which I can't really afford to do with my job. Um, I got that sorted out around mile 15 or so. Long story, I laid in the middle of the trail and cracked my back and put some things back in place. <laughs> and uh, that went away. So that was good. Um, and really, I felt pretty okay all day. The scenery was unbelievable. Um, I can be, I can go forever in a beautiful place like that. And we hadn't seen that side of the trail yet with the wildflowers, like Mallory said. Um, just, it was stunning. Um, so I really enjoyed it, though I didn't feel that great. Um, some of that, we had probably an hour or two in the sun, which is not hot up there, but it still kind of beats you down a little bit. Um, and then I had a point from probably mile 20, no, not even mile 30 to 34 or so, um, really, really just felt bad. Uh, we had stopped to filter some water and I felt like everything just locked up and I could not wrap my head around how I was going to go all night into the next day for probably four or five miles. Um, it was, that was a pretty, it wasn't mentally that low, but it was just more trepidation and wondering if I was in over my head. Um, but then right after that, you know, as it, happens that was kind of my highest point we hit 35 or 36 at sunrise um, we saw jason there that was the last familiar face we saw until the end of the run and the trail at that point you know we hit we were now on the part of the trail we did last summer so that was a huge mental mar marker just to be on familiar territory um, but there's probably a six seven mile stretch after that that's just beautiful smooth single track it was really runnable a few small climbs but mostly gradual downhills this crazy fog had come in it was late enough all the hikers were gone um, and I was on cloud nine during that part all of a sudden my legs just woke up and I felt super fresh like we just started um, I felt like I could have gone out and run that thing as fast as I could um, so I had a really good probably 10 mile stretch from 35 to 45 um, where I just felt fantastic um, and then otherwise I didn't Mentally, I didn't hit a really low point until the last couple of miles. By then, you know, I had had wet feet this entire time. Um, they got really, really bad for probably the last 15 miles to where every little rock and root I hit was like a knife in my foot. And I knew I was going to get through it, but it just, I was really frustrated because my legs really felt pretty good and my energy felt pretty good. And I was really happy with all of that, but my feet were holding me back so bad. <laughs> and I was super frustrated that a little thing like that had become such a big deal when everything else felt so good. Um, so I would say the last two to three miles, I was not a very happy camper. Obviously, it was, we were going to get it done at that point, but I think knowing we definitely had the FKT, there was no anticipation there. I just wanted to be done with it. 
Mally, did you know that Allison was going through those troubles with her feet at that point? I think we did a good job of not necessarily sharing how we felt when we were feeling bad because it just at some point didn't really help. Um, no, I didn't. She never said anything. I could probably tell by the way that we were both moving. I'm sure we've, I felt like I probably looked like I was like sprinting down the track. And then I looked at Allison and I was like, oh, I think I probably look more like her. <laughs> we both have these like, like we just got off a horse kind of jog. Um, I knew that every step was really hurting her feet. When we had, I guess, two miles left to go, we thought we only had a mile left. And I looked down at my watch and I was like, Allison, let's do this. Let's get 28 something. We can do this. We have 15 minutes. We've got it. Of course, we can do a 15 minute mile. Let's let's get some go and get this done. And I think she was like, I don't have a lot of go left. <laughs> and I thought, I mean, neither do I. Who am I kidding? So we tried and it was just heartbreaking to could kind of crest over this hill and look down and you we still couldn't hear our group we couldn't hear the cars we couldn't see the trailhead and we thought we're we're still another mile away and yeah like Allison said we knew we were still going to get the FKT it wasn't like we were questioning that we just wanted to be done and I think when we finished they our group might have been wondering why aren't they more excited but we had the last four or five hours to really understand that we were going to do this we knew we were going to do it even if we had to crawl it was going to happen it was just going to be this total <laughs> it was we were both in a hurt locker there at the end and we thought we were both pretty mentally strong and I remember at one point saying I thought I was going to hallucinate I haven't hallucinated once I feel great and we were maybe uh at that point a quarter mile from the finish but we didn't know how far away we were and we saw a figure sitting down and we thought great we're far enough from the trailhead that there's a person that has already decided to sit down like we still have a really long way to go and as we got closer we thought well that's a really like hairy person that's like a really really hairy person and I don't know if we were both just too tired to be excited or wowed or scared or what but we just ran right past Sasquatch and this person dressed as Sasquatch started running behind us. And I remember it was Allison's friend, Daisha. And she was like, are you two not going to say anything about a Sasquatch running behind you? And we were like, yeah, we saw you. <laughs> Whatever. I just remember being like, I don't know. Maybe it was a mirage. Maybe it wasn't. But I'm too tired to even think about it right now. <laughs> so speaking of Sasquatch, I know Allison was scared of bears. And, you know, there's bears, there's bobcats, there's mountain lions, things out on the trail that might get you at night. How did you deal with that? And Allison, I'll take that question to you. You know, last summer, I, even during the day, I was super worried about bears. I felt like even at two in the afternoon when we were in the forest, I was jumping at every little twig snap, constantly looking over my shoulder and just really, really nervous about bears. Um, not so much about mountain lions, which are actually probably a lot more dangerous, but it was just a bear thing. Um, and honestly, this year, it never once, I wouldn't say it didn't cross my mind, but it was not an issue. Um, I think having had a couple of months out in Buena Vista and spending so much time alone out in the trees, I mean, there were times where I would go three or four hours without seeing anyone. And obviously there's bears all over Colorado. Um, I think I just got more comfortable with it. And, you know, I have run up on a bear on a trail now a couple of times, and it's been such a non-issue. 
every time that I've just kind of accepted, you know, they're out there. They really don't want anything to do with me. And it was not forefront on my mind this time, which is really nice. I kind of thought it would be once it got dark, but um, I don't know. Maybe I was so preoccupied with the whole river thing that I wasn't too worried about bears. But um, yeah, I felt like that part did not bother me this year, which was a, a good relief. I wasted a lot of energy on that last year. And of course, as it turned out, we didn't see anything um, other than a deer and a bunch of mice. So Mallory, talk about pacing for a second. You guys are, you knew you're going to be out there. I know you had done some work to try to figure out how long it would take you to get through the various sections. How did you pace it and how much of the 29 hours as a rough percentage was actually running versus hiking? Before we took off, I created a pace chart just to get an idea of where we needed to be. And one had all the times listed out where we're we're going to really have to pick it up and move it if we're at these certain spots at this time, as in we're just barely going to break the FKT. And the other one was a 28-hour flat goal. And we kept that, if not faster, for at least the first half. Um, I know when we were the very first spot, we came in right on time, maybe 30 seconds behind. And then the next one, we were 30 minutes ahead. And I tried to do my best to take into account elevation. What I didn't take into account was just how slow our last 20 miles would be. I never dreamed that we would do a 30-minute mile. And there were definitely some climbs where we're looking down at our watches and it says you're doing a 28-minute mile. That just seems impossible. I mean, I walk in the grocery store faster than that why can't I just pick it up and it's there are points where it's so steep and it's so dark and you're so tired so we were hitting all those pace times and felt really good about all that um I think I I I feel like from the get-go I knew we were going to do it there was really not a scenario a pace scenario where we weren't going to break the FKT unless one of us really did get hurt but how much are you how much were you running versus hiking um, how much did we run? I mean, anything downhill, anything flat, and anything less than about a 5% incline. So I'd say we ran 50 to 70% of it. It's kind of blurry. And, you know, really power hiked the rest of it. Uh, we tried to move fast through the water filtering. I think we really got that down. Last time we timed ourselves, and each water filtration stop took about five minutes. And we thought, well, we're going to stop at least 10 times that's almost an hour of water filtering that's ridiculous and we really got that whole process down um i think this time we didn't stop once to eat last time we did this time we just kind of we'd throw our packs around the front pull some food out shove them in pockets in our the front of our packs and just keep moving the goal really was just keep moving Uh, if one of us needed to go to the bathroom the other one kept going and then the other one had to work harder to catch back up so a little more than half was running. And then I, Allison kept saying, like, just put some bounce in your jog. You just need to bounce a little more. <laughs> I, I would call it like a, a fast shuffle. It's like, I don't, I'm out of balance, Allison. <laughs> so let's talk about some of the lessons from this. What, and we'll go to you first, Allison. What did you learn about yourself as a part of this experience and journey? Um, I think for me, it was just a really big confidence booster on the trail. Um, I really, really enjoyed the self-support aspect of this. I think the whole thing felt like a project to me more than 
you know, a race might. It felt like something, there were so many different pieces that had to come together to put, to make all this happen. And like we said before, everything went really, really smoothly. And I don't think there were any huge trials or tribulations during this experience other than obvious discomfort from running 93 miles. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, like Mallory said, I never really considered the possibility of not getting the FKT. Um, some of that might be just being naive, being new to this whole thing. Um, I really didn't have anything to compare it to. So it was just like, what do we need to do? Sub 20 minute miles. Okay. That's what we'll do. Um, but actually having done it once we were in it kind of realized it was a bigger deal than maybe I had made it out to be in my head. Um, and yeah, I think ultimately I just realized that I can do some big things on trail. Um, I'm confident in my strength and endurance, uh, mentally and physically, and kind of that ability to just kind of put my head down and grind on. Um, and that was a big confidence booster. Like I said, I'm not that fast on trail, but this definitely kind of gets me interested in trying some longer stuff and kind of seeing what I can do. She's hooked. Is there, does that mean there's another hundred miler in your future, Allison? <laughs> I'm sure there will be someday. There's nothing on my radar right now. Um, it's actually for the first time in years, I have no idea what I'm doing next from a personal running perspective. Um, but it definitely has my interest. Um, I don't, I'm definitely not opposed to an organized race and I'm, I'm sure it's in my future. I think I've still got a few years of fast marathoning and I want to take advantage of that. Um, but I like doing it all. I don't think it has to be one or the other. Um, and the way I've kind of done things up until now is something comes up and catches my interest and I just do it. And that's tend to work. It's worked out so well or so far for me. Um, so I think a lot of that's going to just depend on what kind of pops up and fits into my schedule. But yeah, I'm sure there'll be a hundred miler in my future. I'm not going to say it's going to be in the next few months. Um, but it definitely has me, um, kind of itching to see what I can do whether it's an organized race or another FKT attempt. Um, but I, I just like being out in the mountains. It's, I really, really enjoy it. And I think that's a huge part of being able to be successful at it is enjoying being out there. Mallory, what about you? What's next? For now, it's uh, helping support my husband's big, hairy, audacious goals. It's his turn. He was incredibly supportive. And there are times where I think the hardest, this was hardest on my son and often my husband because there was some some craziness that had to happen to make all this work um so I'm excited to support him uh, I think shortly after telling him that I immediately got back onto the FKT boards and called up some really fast friends and have some more projects lined up um there are definitely some scouting trips planned in the Sierras for next year and throw it out there to that I'd like to try to attempt to do the Grand Canyon. Grand Canyon rim to rim to rim doesn't have a difference between unsupported or supported. It's short enough that there's, they wouldn't really make that distinction, I don't think. Um, but I kind of like the idea of, of a shorter project and a longer project. So I'm looking at a 50 miler and 160 miler. That's it? <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Goodness. Uh, well, I can say count me as one of many that are actually inspired by your very selfish pursuits here, <laughs> Allison and Mallory. It's been a real privilege getting to break it down with you guys. And thank you for sharing with us. Any final thoughts or questions, Steve? 
I don't have any thoughts. I mean, I have thoughts, but I don't have any questions. I guess I, I will. I will close and just say a reiteration that it's been a it's been so cool to be a small part of what these two ladies have done. And I think the thing that's most exciting to me is looking forward to what I know. It, I remember being in BB and just being so hoping Allison would get excited about running on the trails really hard and fast because it fits her skill set so well. And I'm really excited to see what she dreams up next and where she wants to go with it. Um, I'm also excited as a person that she looks to for coaching advice to be able to be a part of wrestling with some of those angels and figuring out where we can go with it. And with Mallory, it's just been so much fun seeing her get faster and hopefully this experience will prove to her husband that being on the roads will make you fast on the trails and we'll see some pretty amazing stuff out of him too. So it's just been so cool to be able to be a small part of what they're doing. And I'm excited. Um, I'm also excited for our listeners, hopefully to start expanding out beyond we talked about track and field. We got people excited about that. We got them excited about marathoning in terms of the racing and, and we'll continue to talk about our training stuff and all those other things, but there's some people doing some really badass cool shit out there, folks, and just keep your ears to the ground and listen and look for those inspiring moments. These two ladies inspired me, inspired our whole community here in Austin and especially at Rogue, and looking forward to seeing what new horizons they have out there and what things we can do to help support them. So it's really, really exciting. <laughs> Yep. Thanks again, guys. And everybody check out WonderlandTrailFKT.com. You'll see the full blog and breakdown there. Thanks, ladies. I'm sure we'll have you on again soon. There we go. Amazing, inspirational work from Allison and Mallory. That was episode 39 of the Running Rogue podcast. As always, you can check us out at RogueRunning.com or follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at RogueRunning. You can also email Steve and I if you want. My, my email is just chris at Rogue Running and Steve is Steve Sisson at Rogue Running. If you have feedback or want to ask us questions, fire those, fire those our way and we might just talk about it on the show or even have you on the show as we've done with listeners at this point. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time.